Welcome to episode 47 of the Idea Blog Podcasts on the Criminal Code of Canada. Today we will be discussing section 52, sabotage or there's more to this than a wooden shoe. We are continuing our long but worthwhile journey through the Canadian Criminal Code. In this rather long episode, we are still wading through the sections in the code under Part 2, Offences Against the Public Order. This section is one of many prohibited acts listed under this heading, along with such other sections such as Alarming Her Majesty, Section 49, and Intimidating Parliament, Section 51. So far, we've learned that these offences come to us from the English common law and have essentially been in our criminal code since its inception in 1892. We've also realized that many of these offenses have been subsumed under other more modern sections of the code, particularly the terrorism and criminal organization offenses. Although these sections are occasionally references in a recent case or two, they remain virtually unused as relics of the past. The section we will now discuss sabotage under section 52 has a different history. It came into our criminal code later in the 1951 amendments to the criminal code under section 509 subsection A as acts prejudicial to security. Soon thereafter in the 1953-54 amendments the section was relabeled as sabotage with the essence of the offense remaining unchanged from the 1951 amendments. The original placement of the offense under the mischief sections tell us that the offense is a form of mischief involving willful damage to property, but with a more serious connotation involving prohibited acts against the national interests of the state. You may rightly ask why such an offense wouldn't have been in our first criminal code. The answer connects us to the etymology of the word sabotage, Although the term sabotage itself is not actually used in the section, it appears in the descriptive heading. Even so, sabotage is a word readily identifiable. We all have a notional sense of what sabotage is and what it entails. Despite this, the etymology of the word is surprising, yet it is familiar. The word sabotage, according to the online Oxford Dictionary, comes from the French word saboteur, meaning kicks with sabots, willfully destroy. A sabot was a wooden shoe traditionally worn by the working class, somewhat akin to the Dutch wooden clog. According to the Oxford Online Dictionary, the somewhat apocryphal story connecting Sabot to the crime of sabotage involves the French workers in the early 1900s who protested the advent of the Industrial Revolution and the replacement of machine for man. In these strikes and protests, the workers showed their displeasure by throwing their wooden shoes into the machinery which clogged the inner workings of the machine. The authorities viewed these actions as sabotage, and so the story goes was the birth of a new crime involving a form of mischief. Within a few years, the crime would have more significance during World War I and thus become an action intersecting intimidation of the government 
espionage, and treason, but all with an element of mischief. However, etymologists suggest the wooden shoe story is not behind the crime. Apparently, the word sabot referred to bungling as in doing something very badly or messily. This connects better to the earlier uses of the word and does tie to labor action, which also explains the exceptions to sabotage as enumerated under Section 52, Sub 3 and Sub 4 of our Criminal Code, which I will discuss later on in this podcast. The use of the term can be found in the 1907 speech given by Arturo M. Giovanetti, who was an Italian-American social activist and labor union leader. He decried the concept of sabotage as murder, instead describing it as giving back to the bosses what they give to us. Sabotage consists in going slow with the process of production, when the bosses go slow with the same process in regards to wages. As an aside, Giovanetti and two other labor leaders were charged in 1912 with constructive murder on the basis of inciting a riot which led to the death of a striker by the police. All men were eventually acquitted. Giovanetti, who was a self-rep, gave a memorable jury address, an excerpt which can be found on the internet. And if you want to go to the link to that jury address and to some of the other background information that I'm giving, I encourage you to look at this podcast as a the written word on my website idea blog, I-D-E-A-B-L-A-W-G dot C-A, where you'll find the written text and those links. Turning back to sabotage, the evolution of this crime antedates the code, which explains why it's not in there in 1892. However, when you look at what is in the 1892 code, it becomes clear why the crime easily found its way into our criminal law nomenclature. Other mischief sections, such as Section 489, prohibit mischief on railways and injuries to the electric telegraphs under Section 492. All of these important infrastructure features of the new state. On that basis, the addition of sabotage seems a rational one. However, as mentioned earlier, due to the labor connection, the final definition of sabotage protects the right to strike and peaceably protest. So let's talk about the actual words found in the section. The first part of section 52 reads as follows. Everyone who does a prohibited act for a purpose prejudicial to A, the safety, security, or defense of Canada, or B, the safety or security of the naval, army, or air forces of any state other than Canada that are lawfully present in Canada, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not exceeding 10 years. This first subsection, of course, lays out the actual offense. The other subsections Will really fill in what that offense means and what the Crown has to prove. So turning to the actual offense, the mens rea or mental element requirement can be found in the phrase, quote, for a purpose, end quote. This offense is an example where the prohibited act of the offense is committed for a specific purpose ulterior to that prohibited act or acts. And for further information on this, see paragraph 92 of the Ontario Court of Appeal case in Regina and Kawaja, which is K-H-A-W-A-J-A from 2010. There is a Supreme Court of Canada case 
but I'm referring to the lower court decision. The ulterior purpose is outlined in subsection 1 as prejudicial to the safety, security, or defense of Canada, or the safety and security of any armed forces of any state lawfully in Canada. This would require the Crown to prove a very high level of mens rea, and recklessness would not suffice. Again, as mentioned in previous podcasts, the new terrorism offences would cover these prohibited acts in a much broader manner, both in terms of actus reus and mens rea. Looking at the actus reus of the offence, the Crown would not only need to prove the prohibited act as defined under subsection 2, but also the prejudicial purpose as enumerated in 52 sub 1 A and B. Looking again to the Oxford Dictionary, the term prejudicial may be fulfilled by proving the purpose was to harm or place at risk of harm. If proceeding under subsection B, the Crown would also need to prove the foreign armed forces were in Canada lawfully. The prohibited act is specifically defined in the next subsection 2 as follows. Any act or omission that A, impairs the efficiency or impedes the working of any vessel, vehicle, aircraft, machinery, apparatus, or other thing, or B, causes property by whomever it may be owned to be lost, damaged, or destroyed. Acts are fairly broad, only requiring an impairment, which could include a mere weakening of the productivity, or a hindering, which could include a mere delay. Back to the prohibited acts, traditional rules of statutory interpretation, such as a eustem generis and nocitur socius, can be applied to argue that the general term or other thing must be interpreted in light of the preceding list. Here, a list of man-made items requiring power. Just how broad the prohibited act is can be seen by the definition under subsection B. Although the crown would have to prove causation, the consequence can be as simple as an item lost. Further, there's no specific ownership required. This broad prohibited act is thankfully tempered by that more specific mens rea requirement. There is a militaristic tone to this offense, armed forces and even foreign ones. There are less serious mischief-related offenses found under the National Defense Act, such as under Section 116. For example, in Reed S.A., Petty Officer Second Class, and Sinclair J.A., Petty Officer Second Class, a 2009 court-martial case, the offenders originally faced charges as laid by the Canadian Forces National Investigation Services of sabotage, conspiracy, and other mischief-related offenses. The two officers impeded access to a military database by making it more difficult to access the information. Upon review, the charges of sabotage and conspiracy were dropped, with the Director of Military Prosecutions deciding not to prefer those charges, but to pursue the less serious National Defense Act offenses instead. However, form the basis of the defense submissions on disposition for a lesser sentence, as the more serious charges had garnered much more media attention, had severe repercussions as the offenders lost their security clearance, they also lost computer access, and really any access to classified information. 
In the end, the court-martial judge found the offenses were still significantly serious to attract a heavy fine and a reduction in rank. Also, saving subsections, which provide an exception to the prohibited acts as outlined under subsection 2. As mentioned earlier, these exceptions pertain to acts involving labor protests and also workers' safety. They are as follows. No person does a prohibited act within the meaning of this section by reason only that A, he stops work as a result of the failure of his employer and himself to agree on any matter relating to his employment, B, he stops work as a result of the failure of his employer and a bargaining agent acting on his behalf to agree on any matter relating to his employment, or C, he stops work as a result of his taking part in a combination of workmen or employees for their own reasonable protection as workmen or employees. The final exception to the enumerated prohibited acts under subsection 2 come under subsection 4 and ensure that the section could not be used as it relates to someone, for example, who canvasses door-to-door. It reads as follows, subsection 4. No person does a prohibited act within the meaning of this section by reason only that he attends at, near, or approaches a dwelling house or place for the purpose only of obtaining or communicating information. In the recent case of Regina and Wagner, a 2015 case from the Ontario Court of Justice, Mary Wagner was charged with breach of probation and mischief by interfering with private property by attending a Toronto abortion clinic. Attendee at these clinics in a concentrated effort to persuade women not to have abortions. In the somewhat bizarre incident, she approached a woman in the clinic while holding a rose in her hand and softly, repeatedly urged the woman to change her mind. When asked to leave, she refused, and eventually she was forcibly removed by the police. One of the arguments on behalf of Ms. Wagner raised the issue of whether or not her efforts to dissuade were actually acts of protection or defense of the fetuses pursuant to the defense of the person section in the code. In his reasons for conviction, Justice O'Donnell dismissed this submission, but did refer to Section 52 sabotage as an offense which exempts behavior similar to the type of behavior engaged in by Ms. Wagner. Certainly, attendance at a place for the sole purpose of communication would not be contrary to Section 430 sub 1c mischief, However, where that communication interferes with the lawful use of property, then the section could very well be applicable as it was in the Wagner case. Needless to say, there are not many case examples of sabotage. Although it has been in the criminal code for decades, it is in some ways a relatively new offense when compared to the other offenses under the treasonable and prohibited act part. However, the underlying rationale for the offense to protect national security is certainly not a new concept. Whether this offense will continue in use, considering the push to modernize offenses, is a question to be asked in the future and is an answer which remains to be seen. Thank you for joining me for this episode 47. Please 
visit my website, www.ideablog, I-D-E-A-B-L-A-W-G.ca. Read my other blog postings. Look at the text of this posting and other ones for the hyperlinks. And please join me next time for episode 48, where we will discuss section 52. Thank you.